It is so good to be back with you today. I'm going to have you open up your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are going to do some reflecting on Luke a little bit. And just want to let you know from the beginning, I'm looking forward to the next six months with you and opening up God's Word and and looking at what it has to say and, and helping some in whatever ways I can with leadership, getting to know some of you. Uh, excited about that. My wife Joni is down here uh, with me, and we just got back from Alabama. So if there's a little glow right here, it's because that is God's country, and, and I'm reflecting His Shekinah glory right now just from being there a little bit. But I've been there for a month. Uh, both of our families are there. My mom and dad, her mother, her dad passed away last summer. And we have a lot of work to do around their homes and just to take care of them. They're, they're both really, they're all really struggling physically. Uh, my dad's in stage four cancer. My mom has arthritis so bad that she's either in complete pain or a little high, I think. But I like her when she's a little more high. She's a little bit easier, for life's a little bit easier for her. Joni's mom's in pretty good health, but lonely, and she's a widow. And so there's just a lot of things that we try to work through while we're there. But it was a great time for us to be here. I'm actually in town for about until actually Wednesday morning, and then I'll be flying out to South Africa and Uganda. I would love for you to pray and partner with me in prayer while I'm there. Three things really come into mind, safety, anytime we travel around the world today, um, there are um, possibilities for just incredible, incredibly bad things to happen. Just pray for me with that. I'm not certain exactly where I'll be going in Uganda. I'm just trusting my hosts there. Um, also, I'll be speaking at three different Bible conferences, one in South Africa, two in Uganda, and there will always be translation. And some of the places in Uganda, it's going to be in multiple languages, and that's exhausting. If you've ever had to do that in any kind of context, it's just exhausting to try to stay focused while translation is taking place. And, but I'd love to minister to the people uh, while we're there. It's going to be rather large conferences. I'll be speaking in different venues and looking forward to that time, but also for health. I love it when I go overseas and an American greets me and guides me through the whole process and says, don't touch that, don't breathe the air here, hold your breath for the next 30 seconds, whatever it is. I love it when someone from America is over there. I'm not going to have that this time. And so that always scares me just a little bit. They'll say, oh, that's no problem, eat it. And I'm thinking, I I don't know about that, if I want to eat that or not. And so just pray for my health. I have a cast iron stomach for the most part uh, from growing up in the state of Alabama. <laughs> Fried food has encased my stomach, I think, in a way. And, but I would appreciate your prayers for me uh, while I'm gone. And I look forward to seeing you when I get back. We're going to be doing a reflection on 1 through 9. I love to do this. You've been going through the book of Luke. I think the next passage you're going to be at, if I remember correctly, is Luke 9, 57. And following, and so you have been working your way through this systematically, which is the way I really think churches ought to approach God's Word. But I think it's good every now and then to step back and say, where is it that we've been in the book so far? We're constantly looking at all these small pieces, but let's step back and remind ourselves of some larger truths of what we're learning about. And I thought, wow, what better to do than to, to step back and look at Jesus and focus a little bit on who this Jesus is, and maybe it could be a a way to minister to us today. If your home is like our home, 
no doubt you've been watching the Olympics. Anybody been watching the Olympics out there? I mean, we love the Olympics. I mean, I really love to watch it. But it's just amazing to me to look at that person on the platform, and there they stand, and they put the gold medal around their neck, and to think that that person at this moment is the best in the world in doing that one thing. It's just amazing to me. I mean, when they jump into the pool, they can do that faster than anybody. When they do that 100 meters, faster than anybody. And you think about people like Michael Phelps. It's not just one little measly race at one Olympics where he got a gold medal, is it? No. What is it, 26? How many medals? Someone help me. 23 gold. Okay, 23 gold. Who's counting after that? I mean, 23 gold. It's not just at one Olympics, but multiple Olympics. He constantly proved himself the best in the world. He stood up there and said, anyone want to take me on? Come on. Breaststroke? I got it. Freestyle? Come on, bring it, bring it. Backstroke? I mean, he's just good. It's amazing. Usain Bolt, you know, whatever he does, you know. (laughs) I'm not good at all that showboating kind of stuff. But there he is. And you can just see him turn it on. It's like, man, how does he do that? He just takes off. I think he's the one guy that can check his Facebook while he's running the 100 meters and still win. Do a little selfie crossing the finish line because he's just so fast. And we can be amazed by that, can't we? I mean, think ultimately, in this world, our lives are so, we're we're so bored that we gravitate to these kind of things and and they seem to be life-giving to us. Oh, the Olympics. Whoa, a gold medal. When we step back and look at Luke 1 through 9, and we pause right here in this time, we can go, Jesus is amazing. This is unbelievable what we've been learning as we go through this book. Jesus can become background noise for us. Our lives become so big, become so important, we can often crowd Jesus out of the way. And we need to have times like this where we gather with God's people and we bring Jesus back in front and center and remember who he is. I think that's why we gather week after week on Sunday mornings. It's so we can remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Reflecting on Luke 1 through 9, I have several points. I just loved reading over and over through Luke 1 through 9 and just thinking about what is it that I would want to say about Jesus. And I could have 20 points here this morning, but I have until 12 minutes after 11. And so I'm just going to just grab a hold of these points, and I'm going to pull them out one by one, and we're going to reflect on Luke. Let's remind ourselves, who is this Jesus? First point is this, Jesus is the Lord. That could be a sermon in itself. Actually, once we say that, there's not much more we really need to say. But for this point, I want us to consider who he is, and then I want us to consider what this means. Let's consider who he is, and then what does that mean for us if this is who he is? But when we consider who he is, just remember back to the birth announcements. Okay, we get birth announcements in the mail every now and then. We had our children, we sent out birth announcements, but nothing like what Jesus got. Let's just flip our way through some passages. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, in verses 32 and 33. Remember, Mary's a virgin. 
Wow, we can't even get our minds wrapped around that. And she's pregnant. The angel comes to her. And this is what he says. Verse 31 says, you shall call his name Jesus. But look at 32. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Okay, not during his lifetime. Not in however many years he walks the face of this earth. This baby forever is going to rule and to reign. And his kingdom will have no end. Wow, we're stepping back and saying, this is Lord of all. Kings are raised up and kings fall down. Some of you are history buffs. Kings have been raised up, world powers, but then they crumble. This king right here reigned forever on his throne. His kingdom will have no end. You can look around in the world today. You can watch the news today. You can see a lot of bad stuff taking place in our world, but don't you lose sight of the fact Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is on his throne. Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's going to come back one day, and this kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord. Sin will be crushed forever. Satan will be done away with. No more tears, no more pains, no more suffering. And we've got to live in line. I'm jumping ahead of myself, aren't we, to consider what it means. Let's continue to consider who he is. We also see in chapter 1, verses 41 to 44. In 41 to 44 of chapter 1, when Jesus goes and visits, where Mary goes and visits Elizabeth with Jesus in her womb, it says in verse 41, it came about when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and cried out with a loud voice, blessed among women are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Can you imagine the picture as I sat and reflected on this? Here's this elderly woman, way too old to have a baby anyway. Mary, a virgin, impossible to have a baby. The two greet each other, and Elizabeth's womb just leaps because in that belly of Mary is Jesus the Lord. And you can almost imagine that old woman getting down on her knees. And how is it that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? My Lord. See, recognizing that baby in that womb, the Lord of all, the King of all. I mean, what an announcement is happening at this point. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7 says it's so powerfully. I'm working on a, in a commentary series and doing a commentary in Philippians right now and have been meditating on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 in the past few weeks. 5 through 7, Jesus on his throne in the heavens came down and became a human being. But don't forget the fact that he is Lord. He did this for you. He did it for me. He did it for the world. It was the only hope this world had for any kind of redemption. Jesus became this for us. John 1, I love what John 1, 1 through 3 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. And without him was not anything made 
that was actually made. Everything that was in existence was made by this one Jesus. And that's the announcement that's being made here. This is no ordinary baby. This is the Lord of all. Think about the voice from heaven in chapter 3 in verses 21 and 22. Remember the, when Jesus is baptized by John, chapter 3, verse 21 Now it came about when all the people were baptized, so Jesus now as a man, that Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Not just these announcements at his birth by throngs of angels, the Holy Spirit coming on Elizabeth and announcing is in his, in his, the baby in her womb is her Lord, but a voice coming out of heaven. Later on in chapter 9, verses 28 to 35, at the transfiguration, the same thing happens again. Jesus says, I mean, God the Father says, this is my son. And then he adds these words, listen, listen to him. Can you imagine Think about all the things in life that we struggle with. The way we encounter these difficulties. And we can crowd Jesus out of all of that. And in that moment, God thundered from heaven. Listen. Listen up. Listen to this one. Why? Because he's the Lord. He's the author of life. He created everything. He holds everything in existence. He gives you life. He sustains your life. He is Lord. But listen also to the demons in chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. I mean, listen to them. It's amazing. So Jesus comes up to a man possessed with a demon, chapter 4, verse 33. The spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Clearly, Jesus' identity being established. We see the same thing down in verses 40 and 41 of that same chapter. You are the Son of God. You are the Lord of all. You are the King of kings, creator, sovereign one over all of this universe. And then what does Jesus do throughout these chapters? How many miracles could we point to in these chapters? Where Jesus walks in, got an unclean spirit? No problem. Be gone, gone. Withered hand, and I'm just trying to pull all the gospels together now. It's not in Luke. But withered hand, stick it out, made whole again. If a lady with an issue of blood could just touch the hem of his garment, boom, there was healing in that moment. This is miraculous who Jesus is. 5,000 people, they're starving. I mean, imagine just this crowd right here. And we said, all right, give it up, whatever food you have. you got five tortillas, a little bit of fish nuggets. Jesus takes it all up here and turns out fish tacos for everybody. (laughs) And we just go, whoa, this is amazing. You see, we can't even fathom that, can we? Can you fathom us just pulling out a little granola bars or whatever we have here this morning? Jesus taking it all, breaking it, feeding everybody, inviting the neighbors No, what is Jesus doing in every one of these? Trying to impress people? Look who I am, I'm so cool. No, he's authenticating the fact that he is Lord. He's authenticating the fact that he is the promised one who has come. He can be trusted. 
his own works. But what I want you to get is even though we can look at all of Jesus' works and realize all the things that he did for people, even raising Lazarus from the dead, I mean, what in the world? We need to understand, Jesus didn't set everything right. Remember John the Baptist? We could go to Luke of chapter 7, verses 16 through 23. We aren't going to turn to it right now, but Luke chapter 7, verse 16 through 23, John the Baptist is in prison. And so here's Jesus, and he's doing all this stuff. And John says, there's one coming after me. Here he is. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's the one, but now he's in prison. And so he begins to think, if he's the one, what am I doing in prison? Come on, release the captive. Get rid of this stuff. Take down the Romans. Usher in your kingdom if you're the one. And so John's having some doubts in prison. And so he sends the disciples back to Jesus and say, can you ask him if, if he's the one? Or are we looking for someone else? Read between the lines. John is saying, I'm in prison. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't give them an Old Testament history lesson. Yeah, you know, I fulfilled this, I fulfilled this, I fulfilled this. What did he do? He turned everybody around and started healing people. Just started healing them, giving them the touch. Lame, get up and walk. Can't hear, hear. Boom. Now you can hear. Eyes can't see. Okay, now you can see. He started healing people. Then he turned back to John's disciples and said, you go tell John what you just saw. What did Jesus proclaim with all of that? Did he say, go tell John how cool I am? No, he said, you go tell John what you just saw. Because what I just authenticated is that I am Lord. And you can trust me, John the Baptist, even in prison. John the Baptist never got out of prison. John the Baptist ended up with his head on a platter. But is Jesus still Lord? Absolutely. He's still Lord. Jesus is coming into this world. He's establishing the fact that he is Lord. He is overall. He doesn't make everything right. Not everybody gets healed. I'd love to know how many. I mean, it had to be thousands. They just said multitudes came to him and they were diseased and sick and he healed them. How many was that? We always want to know. How many? How many was that? It had to be a lot. But not everybody. John the Baptist ended up with his head on a platter. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, after Jesus has gone back to the heavens, he's got this thorn in the flesh and scholars want to debate what that is. We all don't know what it is, but, but then he cries out, Three times I entreated God that he would take that away from me, and he didn't. And what is God's words for him? My grace is sufficient for you. So even though Jesus doesn't right every wrong, and even though God allows us to struggle with things in our worlds today, don't lose sight of the fact he is Lord, he is on his throne. And his grace is sufficient for you. There's a bigger picture than what we can see. But he is Lord and he is worthy of our worship. And we are to bow down to him. We are to give everything to him. The moments of our days, the money that we have, the lives that we live and who we're going to marry, who we're going to date, whatever it might be. It's all for him and it's all for his glory. I, I read about an amazing man recently. I can't remember what turned me on to this. But have you ever heard the name Hiro Onada? Hiro Nada, he was an imperial Japanese intelligence officer 
back in World War II. Stationed in the Philippines. There was one problem with this particular soldier. He didn't know the Japanese had surrendered. 1945, is that the year they surrendered? 1945, I think it was. 1934, um, 45, Japan surrendered. And Onada is in the Philippines, and he's still fighting the battle. And for years, he would sneak down out of the mountains and kill people. Guerrilla activity. And everybody was trying to do away with him. They dropped leaflets in there, trying to tell him, hey, the war's over. And there were three other guys with him. They would read them and look at him closely, and they'd say, ah, this is propaganda by the enemy. They're trying to trick us. And they would rip it up, and they would continue to defend their fortress until 1974. This is an amazing story. He was with three other guys. Two of them, one of them went down and surrendered. Two of them ended up getting killed in fire coming back to them. But this guy stood his post. And so finally, there was a Japanese guy that was traveling the world, and he was looking for three things. Number one, Hiro Omato, Onoma, whatever his last name was. Looking for this guy. He was legendary. Looking for a panda. I don't know why. And looking for the abominable snowman. In that order. Number one was this particular officer. So he went to the Philippines. And he found him. And they became friends. And he found out what the deal was. This man refused to surrender until his commanding officer released him from his duties. Japan's, what in the world? So they tracked down his major, the one that was over him. They tracked him down and they actually sent him to the Philippines to meet with Hiro and release him of his duties. And at that point in time, Hiro laid down his arms and the war was over for him 30 years later. Now, why am I telling you all that? Because here's a man who stood his post. Why? Because his commanding officer had told him to remain, to continue to defend. And he said, we will come back for you. And until he looked into the eyes of his commanding officer, he stood his post. Now, think about all the changes that are taking place in the world. I think we went to the moon and stood on the moon during this time. I mean, think about all the things that took place in the world. And he stood his post. He refused to give in to the changes that were going on around him. He refused to be tricked by leaflets being dropped down by the sky. He refused to be um, released from his duties because of old age. I've had it. I'm so tired. When is this war going to end? He stood his post. And I thought about that when I was reading that story. And I think about, wow, what would it look like if we had that kind of mentality toward our Lord? And we're just standing our post. Because there's a lot going on around us, isn't there? If Jesus is Lord, then why does this happen? If Jesus is Lord, then why does this happen? If Jesus is Lord, then why does this happen? If he's conquered sin, then why do I struggle with it? If he gives us a heart of love, then why is my marriage in such a difficult place? 
If he promises us good, why are my children walking away from the Lord? If he's so good, why is there all this disease and war and corruption? Why did my business lose it all because someone stabbed me in the back and lied about me or stole my finances? If God is, if, if God is who he is, if Jesus is the Lord of all, then why is that going on for me? And in the midst of all this, what the Lord wants us to do is guard our post and continue to live for him. He's given us our marching orders. We are to continue to live for him. Oh, there's so much more we could say about that. We are to bring our lives to him and say, I know who you are. Our lives could be tanking right now, but we can look up with hope and say, I know who you are like the demons do. We can have that kind of response to him as well. And what is it that makes it all possible? We've got to at least get to the second point here. And the second point is, Jesus is the Savior. Not only is He the Lord, and you look at all of this taking place in His life, but He is the Savior as well. The Savior this messed up world needs to receive. I mean, again, consider who He is, and consider what this means for us. Consider who He is. When you go back again to His birth announcements, back in chapter 2, in verses 10 and 11, again, there's so many different passages I could pull from here. But in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior. And then you see Christ the Lord. He's the Lord. But what we want to focus on here is He is the Savior. He is the Savior. He's not the one who just meets you when you are headed toward hell, rebelling against God, and you, through Jesus, develop a relationship with God, and you get saved. He's your Savior every single day. When you walk away from Him, when your heart is hard, when you sin, when you are rebelling against Him, you can turn back because Jesus is your Savior. And we need that every day, and that's who Jesus is. In chapter 2, in verses 25 to 35, again, just think about this scene here where we have this old man, Simeon, who has been waiting for this promised one who is coming, this one who is going to be, be the one who brings about redemption for God's people. And when Jesus is brought to him there in the temple, and they, he care, takes him into his arms in verse 26, he blesses God and he says, Now, Lord, you, have let, you can let your bond service servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which was prepared in the presence of all people, a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at these things. Even though they were told, call his name Jesus, he's going to save his people from his sins. Simeon takes him to his arms and they're amazed by all of this. And Simeon, verse 34, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to the oppressed top sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be, re be revealed this is the salvation and Simeon says I can die 
I can die. This world's in good hands. I can die. There's the Savior. And then in the verses that follow, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and was, then was a widow at the age of 84, 84 years old, and she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to give thanks to God, continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Here he is. And later on, in chapter 9, verses 18 through 20, Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And after all that they've witnessed, all his miracles, his works, his authority, the wind and the sea obey him, they look at him and say, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord, but you're also the Savior, the salvation of Israel. And they begin to pull together so many Old Testament promises of hope in God's restoration of this world. Everything is being fulfilled in Jesus. You are the one. In Genesis 3.15, you go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and that first sin in the garden and the, 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 the bad that brought into the world and God, even at that point, announces redemption. There's going to be a Savior. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And now here's Jesus. He is that Savior. Isaiah 53 said this Savior is not just going to come and rule and reign, but God is going to crush him. Our iniquity is going to be laid on him. And so Jesus is going to have to go to the cross. This, everything that we're reading about in Luke is Jesus coming, what I call phase one. This is phase one. This is where he, come and take, he comes and takes care of business. Sin has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. Death has been defeated. But we still experience all of that in this world today because his coming was phase one. But he is on his throne and he's going to come back phase two, can come back again. The kingdom of the world becomes the, the kingdom of our Lord and then he reclaims everything. He reclaims everything at that point in time. But when Jesus is walking the face of the earth, he is Lord and he is Savior. A couple years back, I had a trip coming up to India. And I, had been, I travel two or three times a year. And a lot of the places I go, I can get a visa right at the airport. I think it was the Friday before I left on a Wednesday or Thursday, I think Joni said, did you have to get a visa? Visa. And I pull out all the regulations. I've got to have a visa. It was Saturday morning. Everything's closed. And if you ever have to work with the India consulate, it's not real easy anyway. Now, leave a message. We'll get back to you in 30 days, 100 days, the next five years. I mean, it's just forever. But then I found out there was a way I could fly up to San Francisco. So I had classes on Monday and Wednesday, Tuesday morning. I'm going to get up, I'm going to fly up to San Francisco, get on the train, get on the bus, get to this special office, give them my passport, pay them the money, and they'll take it to the consulate. They'll work out all the details, but you got to wait all day long. And you may not get it. 
So I fly, I buy a ticket to San Francisco. I fly up there, I take my passport, pay all the fees, get it done. And then I go sit in a Starbucks all day long waiting, waiting. And then I show up at 5 o'clock and they bring in all these passports and they keep calling all of these names, no David Talley, waiting and waiting. Looking at my watch, I've got a return flight. I've got to get on that bus. I've got to get on that train. I've got to get on that plane because I've got to be back. I've got to teach the next morning and then fly out to India. Waiting. You know what it's like to wait, don't you? Basically, all of the Old Testament is a time of waiting. From the time that, Jesus, that God says there is going to be a seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the seed of Messiah, it's a waiting time. It's a waiting time. And when they finally said, David Talley, I raced to that desk and I grabbed my passport with absolute joy and I ran to the bus stop. And I got on the bus and the traffic was bad and I got up to the bus driver and said, where do I have to go? He goes, you see that light way down there? You gotta get to there. I said, let me off. And I started running down the road, my tie flapping in my face, and I'm just running, booking past all those cars, leaping over fire hydrants. I mean, I was there, but I had my passport. And I got on that plane, and I said, I got, I got on that plane, and I said, it's going to fall. No, I got on that plane, and I said, I got my passport. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Keep it away from that. Don't get it too close. <laughs> I had my passport, but I had waited for that. And it was an agonizing way. Throughout all the Old Testament, we've been waiting. And now finally, Jesus comes on the scene. He's the Savior. He's the one. Now, I want to go back to Onada. Onada's final orders were given to him in 1944. 1944 is when his final orders were given to him. And this was the last thing the major says he's, he told Onada, Hero Onada. He says, whatever happens, we will come back for you. That was the last thing he heard. You want to know why he stood his ground? Because his commanding officer had said, whatever happens, I'm going to come back for you. And he remained committed. And I, when I read that, I thought, wow, that's a lot like Jesus, isn't it? Jesus got this following. He established himself as Lord. He went to the cross, and he's the Savior and then he rose again, and he took all his disciples. You're going to get to this later in Luke, on that mount. And he said, listen, guys, you're my witnesses. I'm going to send you out. I'm going back to the Father. But you know what? I'm going to come back for you. And in the same way, Hero Onoda stood his ground. That's what we're to be doing, too. He's going to come back. And his promise was, I'm going to be with you. 
So what is it today? As you think about you going through life, and you think about Jesus is your Lord, and he is your Savior, and he's told you to stand your ground, what does that mean for you today? What does that mean for you to be faithful? What is it that you need to continue to bring to Jesus this morning? What does it mean? For, what is it that you need to repent of and turn away from? Who is it that you need to move toward and begin to mend some relationship? Where is it that you've cheated and you need to make that right? Maybe it's someone you need to come alongside of and pray with them or ask them to forgive you. Maybe you need to open up God's word and begin feeding on it. Maybe it's been a while since you prayed. Let's let God do a work in each one of us as we think about all we've been looking at in Luke. Just remind ourselves, he's Lord, he's Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you. And we stand amazed as we think about all that we're learning in Luke. You are Lord. You are Savior. And Father, I ask that you'll, for each one of us in this room, that you will move in our hearts right now and help us to more deeply embrace those truths. I pray that they will not just be theological truths. I pray that you would help us to bring these truths into whatever situation we need to right now. And Father, help us to remember the words along the same lines as Hero heard, whatever happens, I'll come back for you. And Lord, we praise you for that. So we give you all praise this morning, and we give you our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.